Hi, Stelio, and welcome to Skills for Mars. I'm really, really happy to be hosting you, finally. Hi there. Yes, it's, a, it's my pleasure being here with you. Stelio, just to let everyone know who you are, would you be okay to introduce yourself, give a bit of, of your background and what you're doing right now, what you're working to? Wow, how much time do you have? Because I'm trying to figure that out myself. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we can figure it so, out together. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. So, okay, um, I'm, I'm known by those that know me for my work in the organizational field. So what I, what I do is basically helping organizations in their evolution. That is normally navigating more change-driven phases, but also just the normal phases in which you are relaxed enough to go deeper in how you work, to go deeper in what you want and how you can be out in the world as an organization. So I've been doing this since I was 19 or 20, which is now almost 25 years, actually. 25 years. Wow. Um, and I'm being, I started doing this as I was studying at university. I studied fluid dynamics because of my passion for, for the waves, for the wind, for, for nonlinear reality in the world. And, and funny enough, I've, I then ended up uh, designing a model for adaptive governance that is called liquid organization. Uh, but as I was, as I was studying, um, actually it was... Uh, 95 or 96 when at least in Italy for the first time um, internet uh, was perceived as a strategic asset something that you actually need to learn how to use for for your business and we were the the nerdy kids uh, playing with that and so I was one of those that was called by companies to not not much on the technical hacking side, but more on the strategic and being uh, as a, a being a tool, being something they can use in the, in, in their strategy, in their, even in their operations. And so this is how I started consulting. And when I was, I don't remember if it was nineteen or twenty, but more or less there. And uh, I liked it actually. I it was part of my interest in uh, in how things evolve and how things change. It's always been there since I was probably 13. I, I, I think I read Zen and the Art of Archery when I was 13. And from there, my curiosity never stopped. So basically, I started consulting. I started my first company around uh, as an associate studio in the 2000. And then I think we incorporated it in 2005. And we did mainly strategic communication, brand design, and a lot of the 2.0 stuff that was emerging in that moment. It was the moment in which the power of information generation and also transformation shifted from companies to the market. So it was a it was unprecedented in history, and we, we worked a lot with that in, in many different ways now, to cut it short. And then, um, well, that company crashed in the crisis of 2009, 2010, uh, and uh, it crashed for many reasons, but mainly for two, which both are called rigidity. One is the rigidity of our customers that had to freeze everything in that moment. We had uh, even very important customer, big multinational companies. We were going quite well. We were very young. And, and on our side, we made the same error. As we started to grow, we started to organize in a way that we thought from the books and from, you know, from the traditional art design discipline that was the correct one, but actually under stress, it didn't work. So when that happened, a few of us stopped and we, and we, and we said, so how would a better way of working be? How could um, a really cool kind of organization be? Even though we think it's not possible. Uh, so just what if thinking. And so from there started Cocoon, which is my current company. And uh, while our parents were suggesting to go find a real job instead of, again, this entrepreneurial 
bullshit. We we went on, and uh, the first thing we did is to redesign the brain of the company. So we designed a, a different way of doing the governance, which still I believe is really where the neuroplasticity of of the organization comes from. And that way was uh, is now known as Liquido, which is a liquid organization. Um, short term for liquid organization, but still it's a framework for adaptive governance. And it is now part of the adaptive or design discipline that I've been developing since then, since 2010, basically. It's, it's, it's 10 years now. I say, I say I have, but actually I've been working with many beautiful people around the world. This is the best thing that happened for taking the bet. Uh, meeting other people that actually in 2011 or 12 or 13, when nobody knew about no management or, or holacracy or, or teal or these things that now you hear, there were groups of people working on that and there were even big, beautiful cases. And I came in touch with all of that and that, that was uh, the beginning of a huge journey. And it complemented my skills and my also my curiosity in, in how you can really help the evolution of organization, which led me, to finish, which led me to what I do today and how I do it, which is uh, really contemplating the uniqueness of, uh, of each human system as an organization, as a socio-technical system, but it, with, with, with a unique identity, unique context, and unique trajectory. And so that means that you really need to read it dance with it and you have you need you need to have your competencies but also a lot of respect and attention in what the system is expressing and so i don't like the pre-designed manual driven models for this reason Um, and 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 what i what i do uh, now in, in cocoon we have called the discipline of doing this evolution flow which we say is the art science and craft to use minsberg triangle of answering one simple question, which is what is the next natural evolutionary step that this system can make? The question is simple. The answer, finding the answer, a good answer. There is not the answer. A good answer is not that simple. It takes mastery, and this is what we dedicate uh, our energies to. I'm happy to hear you're not the only one doing this. Uh, actually, I've uh, met uh, recently quite a few people that are looking either in enterprise design or design, especially with the changes brought by the pandemic to really understand how they can better their organizations and make them more resilient, make them more flexible, make them more agile, with that, whichever word we use right now, and not agility in the sense of Scrum necessarily, but just making them more flexible and adaptable, more liquid. Uh, by the way, you've been through two crises, and in one of them, you've lost uh, your company. Mm-hmm. Do you see the same kind of changes that are happening right now, or is there a difference from the 2007, 2008, 9 crisis? That's a good question, and I've been asking it myself in these months. So uh, the crisis itself is very different. As, as everything is different in life, you cannot do the same thing twice. This crisis is not coming from the economy. Well, all the things that we all know. So it's different structurally. But I also think it is a very different moment. This crisis has, to my feeling, this crisis is uncovering like a boiling water of need for change that was there. And uh, this, is a, this is a big opportunity, actually, for all of us, uh, even without having to wait for uh, institutions and big structures to notice it, to rethink how we want to show up in the world as individuals, for sure, but also as, or, as organizations. Uh, I think the world was far from ready in 2010. Really, there was, it was like a slapping a face of somebody that had the eyes closed I think that today is very different. This is arriving in a moment in which I don't know if ready is too big a word, but still the eyes are open. And the conversation about the need for restructuring the very foundation of our society has been there for a few years already. So it arrives after things like all the movements for climate change, all the connection of people working on bioregional areas, all the 
work about the evolution of organizations that has been there now for almost 10 years and it's now mainstream. All these things are coming together and this crisis stopped everything and showed that it is possible to stop the old and also forced people to have a lot of time for themselves, including myself. So I think this is the biggest difference. This is an opportunity. The other one, we just suffered it. This one, we have suffered it, we will suffer it more, but it is also opening up a space of huge opportunity for uh, consciously changing direction. You cannot change direction. I, I don't believe you can change direction just 180 degrees, but even, even a 10 degrees change in direction, if you project it in the ears, make, makes a huge difference in where you're going to, to arrive or to be in 10 years. Do you think this is just something we think of that people will take this and companies will take this as an opportunity and think of it strategically and change, shift their focus or, or shift the way they do things? Are they really doing it or is it more talk rather than action? What, what I'm saying is that I see, for example, remote work, right? It's, it's, everyone is talking about it. Uh, some are building tools which are really helpful for remote work and some are really passionate and driven and they're really asking customers and questions, but it's a very limited number. It's the true. others just, just, they go with the flow. They still implement best practices. They still think of, okay, what am I implementing Zoom or Slack? Am I changing here or there? Uh, they're not thinking to the, to change something to the core of what they are doing. Like how do they share if, if people are remote, how do they share tacit knowledge? How do they build trust? Yep. How do they uh, build uh, uh, emotional intelligence? I I see some discussions, but not really solid discussion. Have, I'm, maybe you you where you stand from, you see something differently. So I have two sides to this answer that comes to me. Um, the first one is that a lot of the world, uh, I think, is still in emergency mode. And you, when you are in emergency mode, you just want to get out of the emergency. You, your, your, I mean, your neurological ability of looking ahead is diminished. It's amygdala thinking. And I think in some respect, many organizations are still in this month in amygdala thinking. They're like, oh, what the hell is happening? How do I get out of here? And so they really really do not care. They cannot care about the farther future in this moment, a lot of them. So this is part of it. And uh, I think that is also normal and it's uh, normal in the sense that it is natural. So it is a strong situation. So you, the first reaction is to really try to get back to safety. So, and that makes me say that it is soon to observe the reactions, the actions to, to you know, the, the most superficial level is really looking what changed in terms of tools and processes. And that is soon. It's still soon. I think it's going to take another six to 12 months to see if and how companies are really taking the opportunity or not. Which leads me to the second part of my answer. Uh, a couple of years ago, I wrote an article for the Huffington Post uh, uh, that was named The Future of Work, People. In that article, I argued that if you really want to know how the future of work is going to be, you need to look at people today. And let me explain that. I work with a mental model of a human system, which applies to a family, an organization, even society itself, which is based on many things, um, namely on, on most importantly, on socio-technical thinking, uh, which you can imagine a, a human system, like the whole world, if you want, or your family, is a river. So the moment you think of it as a river, first you understand that it's always changing. It doesn't, it doesn't wait for the consultancy to go and make a change project. It is always changing, but you can influence that change. You are also always influencing that change. So either you, you know about it or not. In this river, there is a surface, the free surface, and then there is the bottom. And we recognize at least four layers, two more technical on the surface and two more social on the bottom. So first layer is tools and processes. This is the layer that you see. This is actually the only thing that you can see, really see directly 
of a human system. What they do and how they do it. Uh, again, is it a family, a family? I don't know. What do you do when a child cries? Uh, are, are you able to change the diaper? Uh, whatever. You see the tools and processes of that system. Below that, enabling it, there is the competences. So the, even the capabilities, it's, it's the ability to use and even choose and even devise your tools and processes. But below that, there is culture. Culture among all the many, many definitions, I love the definition of uh, beliefs in action. So culture is uh, the linkage between the inner world of the people and how it's expressed then in the technical layers. And below the culture, there is people, which is the inner world. It's really, it's the, it is the origins, you know, it's um, passions, uh, beliefs, biases, personalities, all this word that is really part. When you map a system, normally people map tangible things. I always say in my courses and my, to my customers, you always have to think, if you really want to map a system, which I don't like in general, map also the intangibles because maybe a project, uh, uh, um, an elephant in the room, a belief. These elements are as important as tangible assets, as people, as teams, as other things. And so all of that is at the people level. Actually, what happens is the reverse. People get together to achieve something in the world they couldn't achieve alone. They generate a culture. Culture is an emergent property of a complex adaptive human system. They have and develop competencies, to use or to devise tools and processes to do what they want to do in the world. Now that leaves us looking at the surface of the, of the river and thinking that that is the river. But actually the origin of everything is at the bottom and the speed of change decreases as you approach the, the bottom. So it's, it's a matter of days or weeks if you want to change uh, tools and processes, but competencies, Slower. Culture, much slower. People with the beliefs, the passions, wow, much slower. So this is why I say that what we will have in uh, three years in the visible, in the tools and processes level, is now being generated at the people level. So there were tendencies that I was observing in 2013 or 14 that now are generating different systems of work and other things. And those tendencies, you, you listen to them talking to people, being with people, they were not still in the organization's uh, actions. And I think this is what is happening now. I see, to your question about what I see from my position, I see a lot more of serious and careful conversations about uh, how our lives can be better. And I think that really a lot, and I mean millions of people in these months have reflected seriously on that. And that is going to have some fruit. I really don't know technically what is going to happen. There are a lot of constraints. There are strong powers. There are interests. So it's not easy. Uh, but it is already, it, I think it started, it is, it is underway. Do you think there's a way in which we can build more resilience into the future? Is it making organizations more agile? Is it, is it going without the uh, hierarchy or reducing hierarchy? Any thoughts so we can be a bit more resilient and not be hit like a wave? Because other pandemics will come, other crises will come. This is not the last one. Yes, it is nurturing people. It is nurturing ourselves. So the way I see organizations, uh, also in, in my org design courses, is, uh, again, socio-technical systems in which actually the power to dance with complexity, the power to actually to even... Uh, thrive on complexity, use, digest it to generate your new cells is, on the, is in the people. We have millions of years of that. Uh, if you, whoever has a children knows that. So we don't have to learn that. We, we need to practice that, to master that. And that's an endless journey, but it is in our bones. 
what happened is that in the Taylor from Taylor and, and Gantt, which were working together, I discovered two bastards. <laughs> okay, you can cat that if you want. <laughs> no, but still, they were two mechanical engineers in an age in which people, mankind thought that they could control the world as a machine. And so what they wanted is to design out the human factor of the organization. And so they did that and it worked. Actually, it, in that historical moment, it led to a lot of improvements, even in the condition of, of workers. So it was nice. It was the beginning of the last century. And what they did was to constrain in many different ways, not to go too long now, but it was to constrain the freedom of the human system and to say, so this is how you have to work. The, you, the way you collaborate, the way you converse, the way you co-create are not free. You can do this and you cannot do all these other things. And they created something that is repeatable, suitable for mass production, optimizable, based on efficiency, and they destroyed the world. Actually, we destroyed the world using that. Because we started thinking that the world is linear, is mechanical and that's not true simply and so the world is reacting to that attitude of commanding and controlling reality which usually turns bad um, so the point is that still when you want to 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 really have the adaptability to have the creativity to have uh, the depth in an organization you simply unleash the human system to the maximum extent to which that human system is ready to be unleashed, wants to be unleashed, and, and participates, uh, which is normally a lot. Um, and so by doing that, you start seeing how that becomes again a living being, so to say. And uh, this is, I think, behind all the schools, groups, and tendencies that we see. And again, we try to read them at the tools and processes level. So it is the agile, no, it is more uh, holacracy, sociocracy, liquid or whatever. But that's not the point. All of these things, what they are doing is to release the freedom of the human system, still giving them ways to coordinate because you need to play the same game if you want to obtain something, but in a ways that actually allow the human system to define the rules as they go, to to make the formal system of rules, of processes, flexible in order to adapt to what the human system is making sense of as the best thing to do, as the best way to work. Now, in order for that to happen, a lot of what is not seen by organizations is that it's not enough to release the constraints because we've been uh, raised in a world that was based on that thinking. In our schools, they taught us that there are right or wrong answers in life. And that you need to I, sit in a, on, a, on a chair in a bench. and uh, There you go. And that yes. you need to speak only when allowed. And that stays with us. Universities are mostly like that still, unfortunately. Not all of them that's changing, even though I think too slow. And so you need not just to say, to tell people, now you're free, do whatever, because people will be just frightened. You need to nurture that. You need to take care of these people that need to start. It's like you had people sitting on a chair for 10 years and now you say, go and run. And so are you, are you stupid? I, I don't know what you're talking about. And the moment I try to lift my butt from the chair, it hurts. What do I do? So we need to nurture our human side as individuals and as groups being together, teams, families, organizations. I think this is key. Then, which model of organization you want to design or adopt, that's another topic. We can talk about that. There are so many ways to get there, so many solutions. But what is lacking now is really people, is really nurturing people and, and showing them that they are human beings. They are the most precious thing that there is uh, in, in our society. That's for sure. There is no society without all our inner world, including our biases, our fears, and all of that. It's never the fear. It's the, relation, it's the relationship between the fear, the person, the other person around, the passions and, and the strengths and all of that. That needs to be nurtured. This is why I love the work that Nora Bateson is doing as well. And I'm trying to work with her as much as I can. 
because she's really focusing on on this in this moment and i think this is really what is needed for uh, for sure and uh, there was a study i just read um, about people if they know uh, uh, if they know what to do with their freedom and about 78% exactly what you said are actually afraid of, of, of freedom in the end and they have no idea what to do with it and yeah, that's the where other the world s- of work seems to be going right you'll be free to choose what you're doing whether that's creative or not but you'll be more free to add value any way you want but that's the, yes. the toughest question that you get in school right you can pick any subject and discuss it. <laughs> That's the, I think the toughest exam that we ever had in school, right? Speak anything and and then do your best. And it's it's in the same we're in the same place right now. Pick anything that you want, what's your hobby, how you can make a profit from it, how you can keep your family alive but still enjoy it and 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 yeah, just just do it. It's not an Definitely. easy question. Not an easy answer. It's it's also it's not always the best for all the people also. A lot of people really prefer to be told what to do and do it with love then you know it's not now we have this moment of reaction hierarchy and command and control is the is the devil it's one solution it's one solution that was focused on stability and stability is not bad on itself it is bad when the context needs adaptability and you keep doing stability and that doesn't work but you know it's a little of taoism there it's a little of yin yang you need you always have and you always need both the point is how do you dance in this polarity between being more stable and giving people stability which is a value and also being more adaptive more adaptable with and giving people that freedom which is also a value you need we need to we need to understand the relationship between these two things and work on that relationship. It's not just drop the hierarchy, give all the freedom, this thing, people will figure it out. So that's really, an, I think it's immature way of seeing where the world of work is going. And now that is mainstream, you hear a lot of that. But, you know, in Italy, we say then where, are, where, there, is, where, where there is the World Soccer Championship, we are all trainers. We all know and you, you hear everything and the contrary of everything. <laughs> yeah, for, for uh, definitely, for sure. <laughs> uh, by the way, Celio, what do you think about uh, people right now really wanting to start their own companies, be freelancers, working in the gig economy? Do you think this will contribute in any way in making them understand business better, be better leaders, Um, maybe knowing when to shift from command and control to being supportive, to being whatever sort of leadership. I think there are hundreds of models right uh, right now. Uh, Do you think this this will help? This will bring any positives? I definitely do. And uh, this this is just one way of doing that. I know a lot of people that is doing this without leaving the organization, organizing this kind of attitude within the place of work. Others have left and are are leaving Others have been fired uh, or laid out in this moment and will have to do that. But uh, one thing that I really repeat a lot to our customers is that you cannot learn surfing reading a book and you cannot learn martial arts reading a book. You need to be in the waves. And these people will be in the waves. They, some have chosen so, some have been forced to that. But being in the waves, it, it, it's, it's, it's very positive at the end. You need to take care to, to, of, of, your, of your fatigue. You need to take care of your fear. But also you are in touch with life. You are in touch with the movement of things. And I think that will definitely, definitely help them develop and also help them to develop the, the world of work as they go. Yeah, I think so as well. I think this is the best uh, school actually for uh, leaders. Because first you have to deal with different things, but then you have to deal with different people. Maybe you, something you've never had to do in a, in a job where you were given a predefined box that you had to take care of. Definitely. Yeah. And then, you know, also, I, I believe the leadership uh, leadership has a long history. You know, it's it's been developing as our understanding of what an organization is was developing. So the first leadership was based on the traits of the leader and then and the, the leaders, followers, and all the models. But I definitely think that leadership is something, again, in the relationship. It is an emergent property of relationships. It's not in a person. It's not that you are a leader. It's that in that moment, you are generating leadership. And, and if you think about it, it is no con- even the concept of leadership doesn't make sense if you are alone in a room. 
So it is in that in that relationship with the context, with the other people, and and that's a continuous dance. And so the more you have these movements around uh, and and change, the more you have occasion to master that sensitivity to have leadership arise. Yeah, I think you only need one extra component: the capacity to reflect and understand you are in a leadership mode at that point, and to and to reflect back and say, yes. "Okay, did I do it good or bad? What do I have to change to do it better?" Yes, yeah, you, you learn. There is there is yeah. definitely a big set of of, of competencies <laughs> around that. True, Stelio, you mentioned cocoon several times and liquido. Tell me about how you set it all up and how it's running. Because it's very interesting. And I will share wow. the article that, uh, that uh, you posted. I think it's Medium. Yeah, it's a Medium. I think it's called, uh, the article title is uh, A Story You Need to Know About mm-hmm. Kogun. Um, yeah, I waited seven years to, to write about Kogun. And, and I don't speak about it so much. Pro- I don't know why, actually. Probably because I, on one hand, I didn't want to sell how we are how we are we are organized because i think that again there is no model you shouldn't be copying but you have to find your own way um, on the other hand i wanted to wait and see if it worked and, and now it's been 10 years so it does and uh, but i think also now i i wrote the article because really uh, as i said now is a moment in which uh, things are really moving and people needed to to have to have uh, I don't want to say an example, but it's more it's more a signal that it is possible. So this is why there's a story you need to know, because it is possible. You you can do things that, that some years before you thought were completely impos- impossible. So what happened? It's a long story, but I will try to make it short and focus on on a few things, and then tell me if you want me to expand something. So um, two streams of understanding of knowledge of even of practice that we had in a previous company already were one on lean thinking and lean management and the other one of openness, open collaboration. So one is really streamlining the flow of value and taking out everything that is a muda, is called muda in, uh, in lean terms, which means a waste. So whatever is not contributing to the stream of value that you want to generate, that's, that's something that sh- should be removed. Some muda you can't remove, they're necessary muda, but still you recognize that they are not contributing to the generation of value. The other one, uh, the openness, is really putting more value streams together, generating something that is much more than the sum of each of them. It's, it's opening up in terms of conversation, of even co-creation. So it's really allowing yourself to be an ecosystem of value streams. These are where things we were working on already. And we embraced that completely when we started Cocoon. So um, given what we had observed in the rigidity crisis that I described before, um, we, we embraced the what if thinking and we said, okay, so what if we try to eliminate everything that we have perceived as muda, and at the same time, what if if we push the openness, the open, you know, the co-streaming concept to the to the maximum extent to to make it really powerful? And so, what we did is, in short, we decided not to have job interviews in our company. Because we found with the previous one that that's basically, it's not a complete waste of time, but there is a huge, huge waste of, uh, of energy in terms then on the results of whatever is the selection process. Google published stuff on that. And it's a mess. So we didn't want that. We didn't want budgeting. So we went with dynamic budgeting. We didn't want as much as possible any predefined title and position. So we worked with roles and different people could cover the role, different roles in different moments, which now is part of the adaptive or design discipline. So it's much more roles than titles. And uh, we made our governance, uh, which I can describe if you want, which is the Liquido framework. We made it the heart of all of this. So basically, if somebody wants to start working in Cocoon, uh, 
they just enter the governance and doing governance, which are entering really the heart and brain of the of the organization, they will decide if to stay or not on their own. It's not easy because again, uh, something you are not used to. There's no there's there's no boss. We, we of course we help them in. There is peering, so you have some person that is there for you to help you. There, there are a lot of things that we have developed over the year to improve that, but still we don't want it to be easy because you don't. I mean. There are so many other companies in the world. It's not, the goal is not fitting you in. The goal is really seeing if you resonate with the system if you, on, on both sides, for you and for the system. Uh, so this is how we replace the job interviews. So just to start working and the work you do is, is compensated with a dynamic system. The dynamic system is a system of feedback, first of all, which is what we call the contribution accounting. So other people give you granular a granular flow of feedback on how you are collaborating with them in the governance on each work item. So you get this feedback continuously and you can use it to self-direct where and what you you want to focus on uh, in the governance. And that feedback also distributes the money on each work item to the different people according to the contribution that people decide among themselves that have been, that have been realized. Uh, at the same time, this is our dynamic budgeting because uh, we use the resources, we allocate the resources by prioritizing, by co-creation, prioritizing the, the work items in the governance that then has a, a small process. So they need to be accepted and they're ready to take to be taken in, in progress. We call them open. They can work on, then there is a, a final acceptance step and then they're closed. All of this is is free for everybody to join. So you can join the work items you want. And we see people, interesting enough, join work items for two reasons. One is they think they can contribute and they want that feedback and, and, and they want to contribute because we all want to contribute. I mean, this is not wanting to contribute is an anti-pattern of rigid organization. But normally, people want to do their best they can, normally. I mean, even though... There are some pathologies, but we have seen probably no one, maybe one or two, if you want to be strict, over 10 years. So uh, they join because they think they can contribute, which will give them a good reputation in the company, which will give them a compensation and, 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 and make them grow. So that's good. But the second reason is they want to learn. They join work guidance where they think they cannot contribute, but they want to learn about that scope of action, about those tools or whatever we're doing in that work item. And maybe they, they also say it sometimes. They say, oh, I don't know what's happening here, but whatever I can do to help, even just setting up a doodle for our meetings, I will do that. And so that's beautiful because you see that people start to navigate their growth through the governance of the company. And then, of course, from there, there is all the rest of the organization. We have the projects, we have some products and, and so on. People start to be known, they stay. The minimum to understand Kogun is six months. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it takes time. Uh, it is massive. We are not just a totally adaptive and emergent company, but we are also completely distributed since the beginning. So we have a headquarters, but it's for workshops. It's, we meet there, all of us meet there once per year. Uh, it is in Rome at the moment, uh, and we do a lot of workshop for customers there, but it's not the place of work. We get there to have meetings some every once in a while, but the work is distributed. Most of our work is at our customer companies. So we meet together in groups and teams on the customer, and then uh, we have a heartbeat of moments in which we get together physically during the year before COVID. Now it's getting more difficult, but still we do. I'm a recruiter, so this thing about no interviewing, this is really fascinating. So whoever <laughs> wants to, uh, whoever wants to join, they just how do they how do they get in touch? Uh, how do they join? They contact one of the governance members. They mm -hmm. are published on the website. Well, actually, normally these are people that meet some of us somewhere, but mm -hmm. sometimes they write. I mean, we have received a number of requests from the website. I, I want to know more. I want to enter. And they contact one of us. They have a chat in which it, this is a, what we call a reverse interview. So they, are, they interview us. It's, what we want is that they understand 
the mess in which we are entering, mm -hmm. not to understand them because we will have time to understand them. So we talk, one of us talk with them to, to explain what we do, how we do it, how it works, and then they decide, I want in or not. If they want in, we activate all the digital accounts and stuff. What they send is just a short presentation that we share so that others know it's like knocking on the door, like this is me, and, and they enter, but there is no approval. It's just they enter anyway, even if the presentation will be, this is me, full stop, no judgment. Of course, people, some people write a very long one, some people write a short one. It's, that's already interesting. And then they enter and they start doing or not doing, asking or not asking. Uh, and, and in the 1,000 ways in which you can ask or not ask, they start being with us. Okay. So, so how do they get into projects? And do you, keep, do you just allow and are transparent with everyone that joins in? They can see your tools. They can use them. Yeah, we have embraced radical transparency. What is not transparent at the moment is just for lack of, of time to make a platform to show all the stuff. We're working on it. We call it Astrolabe. But still, it is transparent in the sense that if you ask, you will have any information. A lot of the information, most of it is already there because it's, I mean, it's Google Drive stuff and another set of tools that we have. Still, we are building something to give like an eagle view to everybody and that's going to help a lot. It's over do actually it's two years that we've been talking about it but then you have priorities then you have the COVID and then you know yes but still it's radical transparency so you know everything that we're doing we have a weekly meeting in which you can join uh, in which we simply enlist what we're doing in governance what we're doing in our labs which is where we will develop the new value proposition new tools and so on and what we are doing with customers so you know all the customer project who is taking care of that you can just contact that person and, and ask and tell me what's going on and so on or if you're interested you can say look i have worked with a similar customer may I be in the project that's it um this is how it works in the governance, but then the customer projects have another organization and there the creating, again, everything that is a muda in terms of creating value for the customer has been removed. And in this case, it's different. The value for the customer is bringing to the customer the best people for that iteration, for that project, for that moment. So it's, it cannot be free. You just, I want to be there. So we have some project leaders that That's what knowing, to ask. Yeah. Know, knowing people propose and put the team together and the team can change at, at, and normally change at every iteration of our projects. It's not the same team for the whole pro pro project because one day you're working on more team-related issues, one day is more strategy, one day is more organization design. So we put together always the best team. And we in the team, we include people that are not in Cocoon. They're not a part of the governance. Sometimes there are people that work with us in the customer projects, but they're not always in the organization as well. So two different scopes linked by the fact that the project leader must always be a member of the governance. Mm -hmm. So this is the linkage. It's a human linkage. They bring all the cast, all the knowledge, all the culture of the principles of the governance. They bring it into the project. But then all the rest is a microcosm that just focuses on giving customer value. So I'll ask you something that I ask all distributed companies. How do you keep track of that knowledge, of that knowledge that is in your head, another project leader head. And yeah. How do you keep track of that, of the actual projects that are happening? So everyone is on the same page and everyone knows if there's a certain way to work on the project or a certain expectation from the customer that they should be aware of. And rather than chasing someone to ask, they can, I don't know, access a file or find it somewhere written. Is there yes. any such thing or? Yes, there is. Uh, it's not enough. So what we have done, we're small. Huh? We are less than 30 people, but probably 30 people at the moment. Mm -hmm. So it's easier. Uh, we are quite aware that this, this, the way we do this now is not optimal, if there is an optimal, for, for, for us today, but covers 80%, maybe 90. Mm -hmm. But if we keep growing uh, as we hope, um, it's not going to be enough. We will need more tools. But still, at the moment, it is conversations, conversations that happen formally and informally. We have many rituals, like, again, the morning um, operational uh, meeting that I told you. Then we have a monthly catch-up about the governance. 
We have our jams twice per year. We have people, uh, we have some peering, peer, uh, how do you say in English? Uh, Peer-driven peer yeah. processes. So okay. somebody stays with you to, to help you learn something, how we do something, like, for example, leading a project. Mm -hmm. So we have devised many things on the focus is most important. And then we have tools, of course, all the governance outcomes of the governance decision, they are available to everybody, organized in, uh, in, in, in folders. We have our tools that we have developed for uh, Liquido, for the governance. We, we call it Wello. It's a platform where you can see everything that happens or has happened in the governance. So there are different tools. Now, this is a, a battle that I would love to have more energy to, to fight because I really think that the world needs tools for uh, what I call emergent knowledge management. Mm -hmm. So this basically would be a tool that um, allow you as part of an organism to attract the information that you need in the moment in which you need. There is now, I think that uh, artificial intelligence is mature enough, some machine learning is enough. There, there are all the pieces. Uh, and I know about a couple of companies that were working on something like that, but at, as as to my to my knowledge, to my current knowledge, there is nothing like that. Maybe something from IBM Watson could be applied in that direction, but it's not exactly what I what I think of. So this is, I think, uh, a huge market opportunity for people that know both what an emergent organization is and the technicalities of this kind of knowledge management. Uh, intelligence-driven mm -hmm. software. Uh, and I think we will be, we would be definitely one, one of the customers, but I also think that many of our customers would need it. So if something, somebody out there wants to develop, we are in for the organizational part. I'll, uh, I'll, share, I'll share some resources uh, with you because there are other distributed companies that reach 1,300 people mm -hmm. or yeah, around 1,000 that, uh, that are looking into this and some which are quite pioneering and they're... They're software development companies, most of them, and their product supports such such uh, knowledge building and sharing. That's cool. I mean, mm -hmm. I don't know if it is what I what I what I'm <laughs> neither, saying I'm, exactly. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I would love to know more. Thank you. Yeah, I'm I'm curious what you think of them. Uh, so you said that you're right now thirty, but you've been more at some. I, I imagine that you're receiving. A, a, People want to join maybe every single day. I mean, it's an organization where you can join for free. This seems like, hey, <laughs> this is easy. Yeah, well, first of all, we are not advertising this. So not all the people, mm -hmm. it's not on the website. There is okay. no join us, uh, it's, uh, it's open. So we really want people to arrive because they have read, they have observed, and they want to try. So yeah, there is an interesting flow. I don't know how many... A few hundreds of people have passed by through Cocoon. Some stayed for two weeks, some stayed for three years, some, some of course, are still there. We, I think the peak we've reached, because it changed, it's not controlled at the moment. We don't have a need to have a regulator for that. So it is free at the moment. Uh, I think we arrived to maybe 80 or 90 okay. in the most uh, chaotic moments. Uh, but then uh, we also applied what we call the shift out. So there is a, there is a, a dynamic that if you're not active in the governance, they are, if you're not doing anything, uh, you're not contributing for a set um, amount of time, you just are visibly get deactivated. So this now the 30 are 30 that actually are working. Otherwise, it's a mess because you can enter, nobody checks, and then you pile up people that maybe mm -hmm. enter a meeting once in a month, and that's not what we want. For sure. Tell me a bit about Liquido, because you keep mentioning governance, and I have the feeling that there's more to it that, uh, than what you mentioned before. Yeah, well, Liquido, and uh, at the moment, we are uh, preparing to write. We have started writing, uh, preparing to publish a new white paper. You can find it on liquidorganization.info. There is a very old one, but still, again, we are working. Actually, we are going to send a message to all the subscribers uh, to know what they want to know more of. But for sure, there will be an how-to guide that wasn't there in the first edition and not in the second because uh, we, we thought it was 
too soon to say how to do that. Now we have a lot of experience. Um, so Liquido is a framework that uh, has, is thought for completely emergent organization, but can be adapted to departments, divisions, or, or even teams, or even projects. We've used also in a project. Of course, it has to be a long enough project, years, not months. Um, so it, it is a framework. It's not a model. That's one of the things we want to change in the wording because actually model is, is really something that you want to copy. But a framework is something that you need to adapt. It, it frames but then it must be filled. Um, it is based on four pillars. Uh, one pillar is a, a collaborative environment or collaborative working board that basically is a, a specific scrumban process for the work items, which links in the process. There are some decisions that links to another part of, of, of Liquido, which is uh, the part of the decision-making toolbox. So there are decisions on the board, on the work items, but then some work items are decisions. And so you need a, a toolbox to take decisions in complexity. <clears throat> and it doesn't have to be always the same way. It can be positional decision-making, can be consent decision-making, can be completely collaborative, can be, it depends, it depends. And so the team chooses the way they take the decision when it is a decision, a work item. The principle is to iterate as soon as possible. So to get feedback from reality as soon as possible. So the smallest, the, the leanest, the lightest way to take that decision in order to have feedback. But that depends on the decision, on the moment and so on. So we have a toolbox for that. So that is a proper pillar, just very important. Then we have another part that, as I mentioned, what is called contribution accounting, which is the, the set of dynamics for which people assess the contribution of other people granularly in, in, in work items. So we exchange feedback and we also make visible then numerically the, the difference in contribution percentage from what emerged from the team and what the, single, the, the individual thought of his or her contribution. And that's, uh, that's powerful. That's very actually. powerful. Actually, we have uh, we have seen that it is all almost always mm, contained in five percent difference, and almost never more than ten percent. So it means that people know very well if they have mm -hmm. contributed or not. And very often you see a plus or minus one point five percent. It's like wow. So and, and it is powerful because then actually this is one of the parts of Liquido that aligns the individual interest when we do something with the group interest. And this is key as a design principle you have chosen with Liquido. Mm -hmm. So Liquido has a lot of dynamics that align the individual interest that is interesting growth in getting reputation and getting money and, and everything with the group interest. So they don't clash. And that allows to embrace diversity because you can contribute in your own way there is no right or wrong answer. So it's like the team will tell you, thank you for whoever you are and whatever you have done. And then the last one is uh, the reputation tracing. So there is a concept in nature, which is stigmergy, which is well known in ants, in birds. Of course, we're humans, it's different. But still, the concept is that if you leave traces of your behavior in the environment, others can decide how to relate with that and coordinate the work according to that. So basically what we do is, is we make visible who is doing what, how much they're contributing and how much they have contributed over time. You can see all the contribution, all the differences between the evaluation of the contribution from the team and from the individual and everything in the governance start building what we call your operational reputation, which is not the political reputation, which you make your friends and you're, you, 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 it doesn't work in, in Liquido. Actually, Liquido has proven disabling that a lot because then you have the, 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 the operational reputation. You have the, the, the outcomes of what you have done or you, you haven't, and that's there for everybody to see. So just to say briefly, these are the four pillars that, come together into a framework. Each of the pillars can be differently designed according to the organization that want to use this kind of governance and how strongly all in they want to be. I mean, Liquido is perfect if you don't have, it's, it's perfect for really emergent organizations. So dynamic budgeting, maybe if you still have to have job interviews, but then you can have this first period of when people enter, still you can 
put them in the governance through Liquido and see what happens and so on. So this Do you is think it. bigger organizations can adopt it as well? Yes, yes. It's not a matter of number. Actually, what I used to say when I have this, quest this question is that Liquido is thought as a way of liquefying your organization, so taking out rigidity. And in order to have water, you don't want a couple of drops. You want many molecules. So the more people you have, the more you will, uh, you will see, appreciate the, 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 the fluidity. Of course, you don't have to expect that since the participation in governance is not mandatory and the coupling with the compensation in big organization is tricky. Huh? But yeah. still, you don't have to expect that everybody wants to, to, to participate in the governance, which is an error I've seen some organization doing. So we have adopted Libido, but there are people that do not take part into the governance. And said, That's fine. Uh, this is why it is not mandatory. This is why it is voluntary. And, and that's an information, but doesn't say they're good or bad. They say that, that they want to participate in the governance. Maybe then you can have some conversations. Yeah, for sure. But uh, on the other hand, maybe at some point, the way we incentivize people in big organizations would need to change as well, because that's definitely not perfect. And that's not, most of the time, it's not necessarily based on merit or contribution. And actually, I think that's where Liquido, uh, on one hand, is very helpful because its contribution is not performance. There yeah. is no performance measuring tool in Liquido. Actually, contribution is very different. Performance is how you are, in, th in theory, you are contributing to the, to the value generated by the company in the best case, which is unknowable because you need to be five years in the future to see the you know, the exponential yeah, yeah. outcomes of each small action effects, in, yeah. in complexity, while contribution is how you allowed others to have the best outcome. It's very different. It's very different. It's shift from an egoistic perspective to an ecoistic perspective. So it's the ecosystem speaking to itself in, in, in a conversation with each individual, but speaking to itself. And on the other hand, uh, it is tricky for the same reason. And as I mentioned before, when you have to couple, to, to couple, to attach the contribution to the compensation of people. Mm -hmm. So say, okay, how do we deal with people that are contributing more in the governance and people that are, that are not? Do we pay for that or not? There is no right or wrong question or answer. Right. In, in any answer you give has a but. So that's an, another very interesting thing when you want to implement Liquid to understand what is best for you in that moment of your evolution. But it is tricky. Yeah, indeed. But it is very, very interesting. So I'm very curious how this will evolve. And uh, maybe at some point we can talk about some of the mistakes you've made and how you've corrected them along the way. Hmm. And what you've learned from them, because I'm sure in 10 years there have been some. Oh, of course there have been some. <laughs> Whenever you want. And, and then uh, what I can anticipate is that our idea of mistakes has evolved it's mm -hmm. itself through this kind of, of, of approach to work. What, what I think, though, is that those that stayed with you and are still with you as a team will, be, will have a hard time leaving Cocoon and this type of work, because it's very hard to find it somewhere else. Well, that's true. I've heard of similar <laughs> principles, but in extremely few places. I can count them on uh, yeah, the fingers of one hand. <laughs> so it depends on what you want in your life. Uh, it, it is very adaptive. Mm -hmm. And so it gives you that freedom strongly and that growth and that also quality of people. That I, One of the comments that we hear all the time from the new contributors is that I've never grown up so quickly, professionally and humanly as I have been growing since I entered here. This is very common comments. And I think that is true because of the complexity that you have to navigate, but also the care that you find from the system to help you do that. And this is something we had to learn about. So that's on one hand what you get, but you also lose something. You lose stability. You, lose, you, have, to, you have to put yourself into the work, heart and brain all the time. So it depends on what you want. Uh, the compensation is very, is, is, is very variable due to Liquid. all these movements. 
So it's not for everybody, definitely. And I am glad that it's not for everybody because I believe that the offering of work in the world should be as different as people are. But it's true that we have people that really... Another thing that we are moving into at the moment is being an aimless aimless organization. So there is a lot of talk about purpose. But I think that we are mature enough now as an organization to go beyond that and saying that our purpose is being our best in any given moment. And that's it. And we don't know if we will be making shoes in five years or selling uh, sailboats or whatever. That's not important. And uh, this is also very, it's, it's radical. But if you it are is. that kind of person that wants that, you will have a very hard time finding that any place else. And so it's true. There are people, I'm one of them, that even in, in the hard times think that there is no better place to be than in Cocoon. Yeah, I just had a conversation two or three weeks ago. The podcast is already out um, with Naomi Stanford and Matthew Skelton and Milan Gunther on exactly this. What's more important? Some companies are driven by values, right? And they keep the flag up that values is what should drive an organization. Some others say that it should be culture. They commonly came to the same conclusion that it should be purpose. Right, so I think this this can be a very interesting discussion uh, with you, maybe at some point to um, <laughs> to really weigh I those ideas. I would love that. And, and yes, <laughs> our most advanced work that is unpublished is on that at the moment, and uh, I can anticipate that it, it it entails the relationship between the identity of the organization and the ecosystem, what we call eco loop, on one hand, and the concept of dance of being in the flow of the music, if you want, of mm-hmm. of your ecosystem, which is the same concept as before, without any predefined purpose because that purpose is the same way that is the driver is a limit it's a very strong limit so happy to talk about it if you want perfect 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 then i'll make the i'll make the connections for sure <laughs> stelio i don't want to lift this without talking about care for this is a new project oh. is it part of did you start it as part of cocoon or separate to, uh, no it, it started from as cocoon so um what we're doing now, thank you for that. I, I, I love talking about C4. It needs people that uh, care enough to, I, I laugh because it's care for, they care enough about care for to, to, to help us grow. So uh, it was born, care for of what it is. First of all, it is a platform where you will find live opportunities. This is why the domain is careforlive So it, it is care, letters and four number. C-A-R-E-4 dot live. It is live. Uh, You will find live opportunities to interact with people caring about where the world is going today. Not just the world of work. Because, you know, work is a very broad term. Uh, My child teacher's work. In a restaurant, they are working. Everybody is working. The society is work. So it's not work as we normally put it in the business books. Mm-hmm. It is the, where really, really, really we're going. You will find on Care4, you will find webinars, some courses as well. You will find events and you will find workshops where you can work with people on topics. Uh, it is a platform that was born in the in the heart of this COVID crisis when we really felt that there was a need for that and that that need couldn't go through organizations because that's too slow for what we were saying before. So we want to go directly to people. And so this is what we, 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 we did. And uh, everybody that is producing a content on, on C4 we do some curation, but we're open to proposals. We really, if you care and you have contents, please reach out. Everybody that produces contents there uh, donates at least 50% of the effort so that others, so the, the users, let's say, can receive that content at a price that is low. We use the cinema rule. We say that two hours webinar should cost more or less like two hours at the cinema. So you have the choice how you want to use those two hours. And what care for does is actually merging the concept of personal and collective growth with that of entertainment. So we think that those things should be energizing, should be even fun, and should be a pleasure to be done. It's not, ah, it's a 
course about, I don't know, management decision-making. It is interesting, but still it's work. No, no, it should be, wow, do I go to see the last Avengers movie, movie, movie or two hours with uh, Paul Tolchinsky or Nora Bateson, or we have more and more beautiful people. And it's live, and, and we have to figure out how to help all the many, many people that are asking for recordings, because we don't want to record. It is live because... These things live in the moment. These mm-hmm. things have one shape because you are there interacting with the other people. If you know that there is a recording, you will not be there and that will not be the same value again. So everything happens live. It works with the metaphor of Netflix and all these kind of uh, entertaining things. So you have series. There are already some crossovers and, and spin-offs and you have seasons. But the series that will have success will air more than once. So if it's live and you lost, you can you can ask for more or you can wait for it to be published again. This is Care4 in, in short. And uh, we just launched it. It was uh, mid-June. So we had one test of six to eight weeks. It was beautiful. It worked. And now we will devote a lot of energies this autumn to try and see if it can blossom, really. Perfect. I did speak with some people about uh, about care for. Uh, I do need to get back in touch with them because I've been out as well, and uh, I'll come back to you because it is it is it is very nice what you're doing. Truly, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Stelio, thank you so much for your insights today. Very revolutionary. Wow. Thank you. That's uh, really a pleasure being with you, and thank you for your interest and helping us uh, telling stories. Yeah, for sure. And I'll make sure I post the links as well so people can get in touch either with Cocoon or with uh, Carefor easily. Thanks so much. (laughs) Thanks, Thanks. Telio. Bye, everybody. (laughs) 